Fit Stay Healthy, part of TA7 Productions, Inc., and now combined with my syndicated radio show, Life in the Groove. And I know some of you have been asking me for just Get Fit, Stay Healthy segments, and I just haven't had time to do that, really, but I will. I promise I'll get back to traditional Get Fit uh, segments. This one, though, I promise you is worth listening to because I talked to the author of The Champion's Mind, How Great Athletes Think, Train, and Thrive, Dr. Jim Aframo, and I've got the segment here for you, the segments here for you. I can already tell you, listen, it's worth listening to. It pertains to all aspects of your life. Even if you're not competing in any sort of athletic competition, you are competing in life for a lot of things, right? You, you know, no matter what, we have anxiety and we have stress and we have to learn how to control that. So I think you will really enjoy this and you'll get something out of it. And if you have kids or anyone that... Uh, that deals with anxiety, performance anxiety, or sports, this is a great intro, and the book is good too. So uh, one of my favorite things he has in there, which I forgot to mention, but I'm going to mention here, is leave the outside outside. So when you listen to this, leave the outside crapola that you're dealing with outside and listen to what uh, Jim has to say. It's good stuff. So here we go. This is my interview from the show Life in the Groove. I know you want me, you know I want to. I know you want me, you know I want to. I know you want me, you know I want to. I know you want me. Hey guys, hello. Welcome to Life in the Groove. Tina Anderson with you, broadcasting from Second Floor Alchemy Water Studios, where we're so serving up, sarving up, <laughs> doses of clarity, inspiration, fun, levity, and practical tips so you can live the good life and live it healthy and strong. And for all things groovy, TinaAndersonOC.com. That's my blog. Or call us toll-free at 855-892-9606. And my blog's TinaAndersonOC.com. Com. Featured on the blog right now, by the way, I just put up, I think it was yesterday, uh, a long list of motivations and reminders. And they're pretty cool. You just pick a couple, might help you through your week or for your day, whatever. Lots of other stuff up there as well. All right, so we're going to get started today with our health and fitness headlines and antibacterial compounds in your soap and how it might be bad for you. And then right after that, in the next segment, an awesome interview with a sports psychologist. You can learn and how athletes do it and train like them and think like them. High caliber, Olympic caliber athletes. How do they do it in the field of battle and uh, how do they control their thoughts um, under that kind of pressure so we can learn from kind of the inside insider, the tips. So that comes up shortly. Okay, so when researchers uncloaked millions of bacteria living on your skin, what they found, this is an article, was a vast colony of good-natured roommates. I love the way they describe that. Your gut's trillion bacteria biome can strengthen your immune system, influence your glucose levels, affect aging, and protect your heart. Your skin biome also is home to countless bacteria, that are essential to your health. Researchers on the quote, I love this, the belly button project. So how do you get the title, the belly button project? I mean, is that, were they swiping your belly button? So that, I mean, I I should have looked it up. I don't even want to know. But anyway, found more than 2,300 distinct species living there. 2,300 little organisms are living (laughs) on you. We already knew that. But interestingly, um, 
fast healers, those of us that heal fast, had lots of helpful skin bacteria. And the slower healers, I guess people who are like, oh, I just can't, you know, I'm not getting better, uh, seem to have fewer possibly because of elevated blood sugar levels. Okay, so you want to go easy, according to this research, on the antibacterial compounds. Blanketing your skin with them may vaporize bacteria that are there to make you feel better, not worse. Feel better, not worse. And here's more info about the nasty side effects of triclosan. So that's what you want to look for. You don't want triclosan, T-R-I-C-L-O-S-A-N, containing antibacterial soaps and other products. I'll say it again. What you don't want is something with that ingredient, triclosan. Uh, That bacteria slayer not only lays waste to the just-here-to-help-you microbes on your skin, but it's more than a rumor that it's an endocrine-disrupting chemical that promotes the growth of breast cancer cells in the lab. So we believe, and so does the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that hand-washing with good old soap, good old, just old-fashioned soap, and water, soap and water, or alcohol-based hand sanitizers, is the essential defense against colds, flu, and other easy-to-spread infections. I think this is really important, and I, I, that's why I'm mentioning this article. You guys, be careful, and you've heard this before. We just go overboard and wash, 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 and are so worried about germs. And we, But there, we know, and now it's just, I just want to make sure you know, the good germs are so important. The good germs are protecting you, protecting me. So be very careful with what you wash with. Uh, triclosan is a no, N-O, big no, T-R-I-C-L-O-S-A-N, no, no, no. All right, moving on to something I just uh, grabbed in the headlines, which is shocking, shocking. A demographic shift in heroin addicts. This is pretty crazy. Uh, If you think you know who's a drug addict and who's not, the pharmaceutical addiction epidemic has changed probably the facts as far as what we know. And we'll probably continue to shift this unless something happens. People who used heroin in the 1960s, think of, you know, Jay's busy at work, but Jay, if you think of the heroin user in the 1960s, you'd think of a guy probably, right? Younger guy. Okay. I mean, most of us would. I'm not, you know, I'm not slamming younger guys. Let's just be honest. You're probably thinking of a guy in his 20s living in like an urban area on the street, whatever. And that's pretty much probably true. These days, heroin users tend to be in their late 20s, More of them, though, are women, and they live outside urban areas. Nearly 90% of them who started using heroin in the past decade were white, and 75% of users were introduced to opiates through prescription drugs. That's according to a new study conducted at Washington University in St. Louis and published online last week in the journal JAMA Psychiatry. The demographic shift in part of the argument used by, or the demographic shift, I should say, um, is part of the argument used um, by a Santa Clara and Orange County uh, lawsuit last week against the big manufacturers. That's why it's local. It's in my paper, um, Orange County here, of painkillers like, you ready? Oxycontin, saying the narcotics were marketed in a way that minimized the risk of addiction. So in other words, you're not going to get addicted to that. 
I call BS on that. A surge in use of the drugs to treat pain led to tens of thousands of overdoses and 16,651 deaths nationwide in the year 2010. We're in 2001, 14, 2010. Imagine what the number is now. The 105-page lawsuit alleges that many addicts got hooked on prescribed painkillers, then switched to heroin. Why? Why would you switch to heroin? Jay, do you want to take a guess? You don't have to be on the mic, but, you know, do you want to take a guess? If you're listening, why would someone go to heroin? I'll tell you why. Because it was cheaper. Cheaper. Quote, it is hard to imagine the powerful pull that would cause a law-abiding middle-aged person started on prescription opiates for a back injury, let's say, to turn to buying or snorting or injecting heroin. But this is a quote, but that is the dark side of opiate abuse and addiction, according to the lawsuit. Wow. Now, I have heard this before that, like, if you go to somewhere like, let's say, where I live, I don't live in Newport Beach. I don't live there. But <laughs> but if you go to somewhere where there's a lot of income that is at a higher level, that there are a lot of soccer moms, and I've read this, Jay, um, and I've seen, you know, studies on this, that are actually addicted uh, because of their painkillers and not being able to get any more of them, they go to this other, these other drugs. And I have read about that. So this is another study. And according to the research, they're marketing uh, like Oxycontin, which we hear about all the time. Don't worry, you're not going to get addicted to that. You're fine. And apparently that's not, that's not what's happening. It's really scary to think that you would be driven in your middle age, right? 30, 40, whatever, 50, whatever that is to actually go to heroin uh, because it's cheaper and then get addicted to that while you're driving your kids around to soccer practice. But apparently that's happening. Wow, that's scary, scary stuff. All right, uh, shortly in about, I don't know how many minutes, but not very many, <laughs> we're going to be talking to the author of the book I'm holding in my hand, The Champion's Mind, How Great Athletes Think, Train, and Thrive. Dr. Jim Aframo is going to talk to us about his book. Um, I'm so excited about that. Welcome to KEXO in Grand Junction, Colorado, and also Brunswick, Georgia, WGIG 1440, Selma, Alabama, WHBB. Just want to say hello and thank you for listening. So when we get back, I'm going to talk to him about all this good stuff. And I'm talking about Olympic athletes and uh, high-caliber professional athletes as well. And someone asked me already on Twitter about nutrition did it affect nutrition on page 122 the leading uh the lead of this is quote eat for pleasure and for performance let food be your medicine so it sounds like when we get into that question the answer will be yes nutrition makes a big difference but we'll find out in just minutes as we come back and get into this book on life in the groove Love that song. Thank you, Jay. Jay engineering the show. Such a, it's a fantastic song. Life in the Groove. How are you, Tina Anderson? So we finished up with uh, headlines in health and fitness. And in case you missed it, 
what the heck? No missing any of my show. No, I understand. Uh, just a quick, very quick recap. I talked about antibacterial compounds in your soap, and I said stay away from triclosan, which is not good for you because you got lots of healthy little bacteria on you that are helping you to fight stuff off, and that doesn't, that kills them off. And then we talked about heroin addiction and how it uh, is a result now um, in kind of middle-aged people in middle America and everywhere else from drug addiction to you know, like oxycodone and how people are going to cheaper drugs and could be lied to about the addiction process and how terrible some of these drugs are when it, as far as getting addicted to them. So anyway, that was in the news as well. I know none of my listeners are dealing with that. But if you are, get some help. I'm not making light of that. I'm serious. Um, really scary stuff. All right, let's move on to something that's not so scary, but actually fantastic. I mentioned before The Champion's Mind, the book, How Great Athletes Think, Train, and Thrive how we're going to talk to the author, and now I have him on the phone. Now, do you want me to go by, is it Dr. Jim or Dr. Afromo or Jim, or what do you what do you prefer? Hi, Tina. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Jim is fine. Jim, okay. All right. Well, congratulations on your book, first of all. And I think what's really cool, this interview airs at different times, so people will be hearing it at different times on, um, on the weekend. But um, watching what's going on in hockey and with the Kings, of course, I'm in the, you know, I'm in Orange County, the L.A. area, I mean, I can't imagine what does it take. Let's talk about that right away. What does it take to overcome what they what they overcame to get into the championship when everything is up against you? That's what your book is really about: is how champions do this, right? Can you imagine what do you think was going on in the locker room, in discussions, in their minds to get them to where they got and where they are today with this championship? Absolutely, you have to think like a champion to play like one, and. Uh, I guarantee you they're staying on a positive track instead of tracking the negative. And that's one of the things that you have to do. Champions, when adversity strikes, they underreact to it, whereas non-champions tend to overreact and count themselves out or give up on themselves. And so you have to do a whole lot of believing in yourself and each other and not to write the review until after the whole series or the whole performance or the whole season is over. So you got to stay on a positive track all the way through. I love that, underreact. Did you come up with that, or is that just a standard sort of given, I don't know, understanding in that, that term underreact? Well, I think it's something that I've noticed in, in a lot of the champions I've worked with. You know, uh, stress, is, stress is in some ways an ignorant state because even though we don't like to hear that, uh, we're overreacting and usually we're, uh, we're minimizing our own resources and our ability to handle whatever comes our way. You know, like, for example, with the Kings, the harder the journey, the more enjoyable the destination. So, uh, you know, if you have the right frame of mind, you're going to bounce higher from a hard ball um, and overcome things. And then when you do that, it's going to be even more rewarding. So um, underreact to negative things and then um, keep your feet moving. Wow. That is fantastic. That alone, I think, is a takeaway right there, which I love on my show, for people to get something just to take away immediately. And I'm going to remember that one. That's an easy one. And what a great... Uh, an image it creates too, right? You can see someone not overreacting and just in life in general. Fantastic. Now, let me just go back for a second about you and just so our readers are, and listeners and anyone that's going to get your book or is listening right now knows a little bit about you. Were you in sports? Did you grow up with any issues with performance? Or I mean, how? Take us back a little bit in Jim's life and how this kind of came to fruition. Sure. Well, I grew up in a, in a physically active and athletic family. My father uh, loved hiking and mountain climbing and uh, competed in master's track and field. Um, 
I grew up running track. I grew up uh, playing soccer, golf, and um, just hiking. Uh, um, I was uh, born in Chicago, but raised in Portland, Oregon. Um, and so, you know, we go to the beach, or we go to the mountains. And um, but I've always been also fascinated by how people tick, and you know how we can all think uh, like a champion in any area of our life. Um, and you know, we might not have the wingspan of Michael Phelps or you know the fast twitch uh, muscle fibers of Usain Bolt. But we could think like them, if not better than them. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, no kidding. Absolutely. So as a as a husband and a dad, I'm always curious about this when someone has a specialty that affects the mind. Do you have to separate yourself? Like, okay, I'm dad right now. I'm husband right now. I'm not, you know, sports psychologist or whatever. Or do you catch yourself with your kids or, or your, even your wife or friends going into some of your... Um, I would never say diatribe, but going into some of your your philosophy, or can you separate that since you study the mind? I'm always curious how that affects your personal life with friends and family. Yeah, well, I'm always asking, you know, if I'm analyzing someone, and, you know, my response is, uh, you know, I only do that when I'm getting paid. So, um, but, uh, you know, I, I do think, you know, in terms of being a, a champion in life, you need to, whatever you're doing, do it to the fullest. So if you're playing with your kids, that's all you should, all you should be doing. You know, if you're on a date, then enjoy it. Um, my wife is better at it than, than I am. You know, when she comes home from work, she's a research psychologist. You know, she'll put on her pajamas or change her clothes, and then she leaves work 100% behind. But, you know, I really like thinking about uh, psychology and sports, and, you know, and, and to me it's, it's really stimulating. So it is sometimes a challenge for me to refocus and, you know, be more in the moment. Now, when you watch TV and watch a sporting event, you see an athlete or an interview, do you detect certain, I don't know, uh, characteristics of someone that you you sort of think, okay, that person's got it or they don't? Can you see that when you're watching someone perform or get interviewed or their reactions? Is it something that's really um, now noticeable to you because of all the research you've done? Oh, yeah. I, I think it's noticeable to all of us, you know, especially body language because, you know, I bet, uh, and I think studies have actually shown this, that if you're watching a game, you could kind of tell who's winning or losing, uh, even if you don't know the score of the game. And so what I try to recommend to the athletes, you know, my clients, always look like you're winning even when you're not. Uh, because if we're, you know, think about the message you're giving to yourself, to your teammates, and especially to the other team. Uh, if you're down by 20 points, you know, or three goals in a, in a hockey game, and your body language is down, you're basically telling the other team, beat me now, mm, you know, true, you've true. broken my spirit. Uh, but body language is also important, not just for show, but uh, physiologically uh, lowers our stress hormones and increases our testosterone. And so it's really important if you want to play like a champion, you got to think like a champion, but you also got, you have to act like a champion. Wow. So keep your chin up, um, you know, walk strong, stand tall is really important. I think whether it's for a job interview or, or, or you know today's game. Sure, sure, and I, I, I think I've noticed that before. I'm, I've become much more of a basketball fan because my, um, my younger son plays, and so I've had. I'm more of a football person, but I've had to learn. So now that I've watched that, and I, there are a couple times in watching the games and when we watch the Clippers play that I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, they don't look at all." down and they're down right now in this series in this particular game but they still look like they're just intently in the game and ready to play and I did notice that once I go out I'm surprised they don't look more defeated on Mm -hmm. the sideline and now that you said that 
Um, you have seen that at times, I, absolutely. But you're right. I, there are times when the Clippers were playing in their series. Of course, they didn't make it. But um, I look at Blake Griffin, and he doesn't. He didn't look like it was over. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think yeah, I think you need to. Champions don't don't lose. They they get beaten by a team that's playing better that day. Um, so you know, as I say in the book, we're all champions until we lose to ourselves. So if you're if you're getting that you know that stinking thinking going on in your head and your body language drops and um, you know you're not giving full effort or having best attitude, you beat yourself regardless of whether you actually win the game or not. Wow, fascinating. I'm, ri- I'm writing down all these little notes because they're great anecdotal stuff. I'm trying to <laughs> keep track. I know they're all in your book, but they're just the ones you're throwing out are, are fantastic as well. Um, okay, well, we have a lot to dissect in the book. And um, it's, by the way, you guys, um, let me just back up for a second and um, give you a chance to, you know, give the information on how to get the book and where you're at. So I don't forget to do that. Where can they get the book or, and or connect with you? Sure. Uh, my website is goldmedalmind.net, uh, and uh, Gold Medal Mind is, you know, it's synonymous with the champion's mind. It, it's being the best you can possibly be. Um, the book, The Champion's Mind, is available. It should be available in any bookstore, um, definitely on Amazon, Powell's Bookstore, um, Barnes & Noble. Um, and so uh, my website, um, as I mentioned, and then also on Twitter, I'm at, uh, at Gold Medal Mind. Okay, got it. Now, we someone on Twitter, because I tweeted that we were talking, Ed has already tweeted a question. When we come back on the next break, let's talk about that, because I know that we probably assumed the answer, uh, you know, of what it would be, but she basically said, um, this is look, fitness, and management. Is um, She basically said, I would love to know how important diet was for performance with these athletes that did really well, because we're talking about the mind, but and we know that nutrition affects how we feel, but probably what she's and what I'm curious about is any studies or any research or how you can put it in layman's terms, the effects of nutrition in performance and how that relates to the overall picture of how you play and how you do everything that you're saying you need to do as a champion. So we come back. Let's go because on page 122, it starts with eat for pleasure and for performance. So we're going to talk about that in just moments. So we'll be right back, guys. did go anywhere <laughs> tina anderson life in the groove and uh appreciate you uh, joining us 855-892-9606 tina anderson oc.com have all my links there for social media and i love hearing from you guys speaking of which we did hear from someone on twitter regarding jim here and his book the champion's mind how great athletes think train and thrive we left off, Jim, with her question about nutrition, and I actually had already noticed on page 122, because I love the quote, that it starts with eat for pleasure and for performance, and you have a quote in there, the wise man should consider that health is the greatest of human blessings. Let food be your medicine, which, of course, is a famous quote. And so I'm sure your answer is, of course, but let's talk about nutrition with high-performing athletes and the role and what you've seen and how that affects their performance mentally and physically? Sure. Well, you know, I've, I actually get a kick out of stories like uh, Usain Bolt. Uh, he recently mentioned that um, he, uh, his, his uh, diet 
for the uh, Beijing Olympics was uh, Chicken McNuggets. Um, and then, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, when he scored 81 points against uh, Toronto several years ago, is his best scoring output of his career. He said that he had uh, grape soda and uh, uh, pepperoni pizza. <laughs> so, uh, but he's also changed his ways, too, because he realized that's not good for long-term, you know, his career. Uh, but champions, uh, they don't leave any stone unturned. And, you know, what I mean by that is they're going to work on every area of their game. So the athletes that I work with are very serious about what they put into their bodies um, and make sure that it fuels them for peak performance. Um, you know, our body is like a race car, so what you put in is what comes out. Now, have you had to deal with specific, not specific, let me say this, more generalized, I guess would be a better term, actually, uh, problem areas that come up over and over again, or is it just based on the, the person? Is there a theme when it comes to nutrition that there seems to be an issue with your athletes? Yeah, I, I think it's it's about, you know, it's about what you put in your body, but it's also the relationship that you have with yourself and, and with the food you eat. So, for example, um, you know, most of us could identify with this. We'll, uh, we'll eat something that we, we think is bad. You know, we're kind of food police to ourselves. Um, and then what we'll do is we won't enjoy it. We'll feel guilty about it. And so what I recommend is if you decide to eat something, you know, let's say a piece of chocolate cake, enjoy the heck out of it. You know, and just, oh, that was so good. Um, or decide you're not going to eat it and be okay with it. But don't eat it and then beat yourself up because that's just going to make it harder the next time. And then also, why eat it if you're not going to enjoy it? So I think that, you know, part of it is uh, also what's comfortable for you. I know one pro baseball player I work with, he loves to have a burrito on the day that he pitches. Um, And whether that's physically good for him, it's mentally good for him because it's his comfort food. Uh, And it puts him in a good mood and then he plays his best. Um, So you have to find out what works best for you. Um, I think. Um, also, too, a lot of times that things that seem psychological are actually physical or nutritional. So, for example, you know, an athlete that's struggling with concentration near the end of a five-hour round of golf, maybe they're dehydrated or maybe they didn't eat enough at the turn. So you have to make sure that you're covering all these bases. Oh, that's a good point because de- uh, just even a little bit of dehydration is really detrimental. And if you're in an endurance situation like that, I don't think of golf maybe as endurance, but it is as you continue right towards the end. That's a, that's a great point. And that was my question, which I think you answered. But just to be clear, is that and being, you know, in fitness myself and, um, I, you know, I try not to put good food, bad food on the table. It's more like, you know, this food serves your body in this way. This food's just fun to eat. But mm-hmm. I can see where making sure that um, if you just enjoy the food, it puts you in a good mood and it um, it's like something that serves you in that capacity is still part of the plan. It doesn't all have to be like, okay, I'm going to have... So, you know, quinoa and broccoli only if that is, I feel like I'm being left out from, you know, some of the good food. So what you're saying is as long as you you have the right reason for it, you don't go overboard and it's serving you maybe even in the mental capacity uh, that it's okay if you have your specific foods that maybe don't fall into the quote, you know, good food category. If that is, am I explaining that correctly? I, I think so. You you have to, you know, there's a saying, if you don't enjoy the journey, you're not going to enjoy the destination. And so if you're not, you know, you don't want to just eat for entertainment, but, you know, if you're not enjoying what you eat, um, then maybe you need to be a little more creative with what you eat. But um, but there should be some foods, and I think that nutritionists and dietitians are fantastic because they help you to 
uh, you know, eat balanced, but then also to enjoy the food that you're eating. But, you know, from a purely psychological perspective, I would say mindfulness is important. So when you're eating, taste your food. A lot of athletes either will, you know, almost punish themselves, you know, I can't eat this, I can't eat that, so they'll eat something and not enjoy it. Or they're just in such a hurry because, you know, they might be a student athlete or they're so busy, and we could all relate to that. Um, we eat the food without really tasting it. Right. Um, so I think that's important. Awesome. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the Navy SEAL uh, quotes here that I absolutely love. You guys got to come back and hear this. Life in the Group continues in moments. Very funny, Jay, <laughs> because I know that Jim isn't going to tell his athletes to uh, party too hard before the game, uh, maybe after. That's funny, very funny. The champion's mind, how great athletes think, train, and thrive, and uh, don't drink too excessive amounts <laughs> is, uh, is what we're talking about, and I'm talking to the author uh, right now. And um, on page 68 of the book, listen, you guys, the book is fantastic, and I'm not, you know, let's be honest, I'm not making money. I mean, I do this show. I, I put people on that I think are fascinating, interesting, intelligent, have something to offer. So I'm pushing the book because I believe in the book, so let's be clear about that. Anything that I push on the show is because I just believe I believe in it. Um, on page 68, he's got um, some stuff that... Um, is very straightforward, and it's something that, according to what he has here, that the SEALs, the Navy SEALs, live by and became part of the Diamondbacks. And uh, on the same, you know, if you go to the next page, we, you have something here about uh, drop the game face. And these are the two things I want to jump into as we wrap up the last two segments. So the Navy SEAL stuff, the PTAFW is fantastic. And, Jay, do you know what that stands for? Prove them all your favorite word wrong, <laughs> and my favorite word. Uh, all right. Um, so, Jim, when you when you hand out, pass along, provide little anecdotal sayings or things, is this part of a, a true athlete's uh, ability, a way to think, train, and thrive? Is that they grab a hold of something and use that several or one? Is that something you would suggest for people that are struggling? Like, I just something to go back to immediately in the throes of a game or competition or something of that nature. Absolutely, yeah. The, uh, everything's pulling us away from peak performance. You know, uh, about talking about results or there's you know distractions, and so you have to stay on target. And any little thing that helps helps. So. Uh, you know, it might be corny to write little notes on your mirror, but, um, you know, like get tough or, you know, think gold. But those things really do help. So changing our external environment, but also our internal environment. So I know that athletes, the ones I work with, they love little catchy sayings and phrases and practical ideas that they could put, put into play right away. So, uh, you know, just even sometimes as a joke, I might say, like, you know, what does JFDI stand for? And, then, you know, they're like, okay, just bad work, yeah. do it, you know, so, <laughs> um, so those little things also make it fun, and then it helps you to build camaraderie with your teammates. I love the DWI, too, because Jay will like this one. My husband, with his job, has um, works with a, a government kind of entity situation, and so there's a lot of stuff you can't 
you know, take care of that you should be able to with employees and things, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So they have a they have this code that some of his employees would have, DWI, which means dealing with idiots. It'd be like DWI and then mm-hmm. walk out. So in other words, code, forget it, don't try, just walk away from this. You know, we can't fix this. But yours is deal with it. And I love that too. It's just DWI. Like, it's just a simple thing. So if you guys like that one, you can take both of them. You can have a code DWI could be dealing with idiots, which means walk away, do not argue. Or it could be deal with it, which I love very much. And um, and so as a team or individual or even in your life, you guys, I think finding little sayings that pull you out of that external environment that's dragging you down or making you, I like to say, and I don't know if you like this, but I like to say certain things that make you feel less than. And I actually got that from a, a sermon from um, our priest years and years ago that just said certain things make you, quote, feel less than people, places, things. So it's kind of like pulling things out of you versus filling you up. And, and to me, this is sort of the same thing, like find, find a saying. And like you've got don't believe the hype, create it. You've got out of unity is strength. And I like, I like out of struggle is strength too. And whatever it takes and think big, play bigger. These are really simple things that are in the book. And we come back in our final segment. I do want to, I mean, there's so much to cover. We're not going to get to all of it. But the last thing I want to talk to you about is on the other page, 69, um, where is tension is who you think you should be relaxation is who you are. I absolutely love, love, love. That's probably one of my favorite ones. We come back. Let's talk about this uh, drop the game face, tension and relaxation in sports and in life in general. When we come right back, we're going to dive in and finish the segment with Jim. Jay is on it. Is that Crystal? No, it's not Crystal. Yeah, Crystal Method. Crazy, uh, crazy stuff from Crystal Method, but good stuff. I use it in my spin class. Do you take spin ever, Jim? Have you ever taken a spin class? I have, yes. Okay, well, I teach spin. A lot of fun. I wish you, uh, and I love, I do a lot of mental stuff in there, and I wean out the people who don't like that because some people get freaked out, but I'm like, listen, I'm weird, and I do a lot of mental stuff, and I already pulled stuff from your book. So I was featuring your book in class last week. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, the book, The Champion's Mind, How Great Athletes Think, Train, and Thrive. And Jim Aframo uh, is the author. And once again, Jim, to find you and to find the book, so we don't forget to pitch that one more time for everybody. Sure. I'm a sports psychologist, licensed counselor. Um, the book is available pretty much everywhere. And my website is goldmedalmind.net. Um, and I focus on the six-inch playing field or golf course or stadium between your ears and help you to think like a champion. I love it because it's all between your ears. And I've said that many times when I've talked to uh, people about their eating disorders and their issues. I'm like, it starts between your ears. You know what? Yeah. With, well, with eating, it's, you know, a lot of times it's, it's what's eating you, not what you're eating. So that's a good one. I got to remember that one. That's, that's fantastic. Okay. Let's uh, finish with what I feel is one of the most profound, uh, quotes in your book and I think you somewhat agree which is fantastic I'm on the same page with you because um, there's a lot of pages in this book so I could have picked anything page 69 drop the game face let me say this again guys um, the quote in here Chinese proverb tension is who you think you should be relaxation is who you are why did you put that in there and elaborate on that well absolutely that that ties a lot of uh, the main points of the book together um, so good job uh, but um, <laughs> 
attention is a real killer in sports. Uh, we want to be free, loose, and athletic. Uh, you know, whether it's on the you know on the ice or or uh, running a race, and um, that's how we perform our best. Now, most of us have it backwards. We think, okay, practice. You know, I just need to get through practice, and then how do I get up for today's game or tomorrow's game? I teach the opposite. Practice is, is really everything, as Pete Carroll says, uh, coach of the Seahawks. And um, you want to make practice life and death. You know, a point in practice doesn't mean you're doing necessarily more, but you have the right attitude. But a point in practice should be just as important as a point in, in a playoff game. Um, and then when you get to the playoff game, it's just like practice. So what I tell athletes that say, you know, i got to prove myself in the game or prove myself this season, I'll challenge them, well, prove yourself in practice and then express yourself in game. So if you think you need a game phase, then you're not prepared. Just bring, you know, if you're prepared and you put in the hard work, you just need to bring your face to the game and then go out there and love it. Yeah, I think that's, uh, like I said, I, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, I have, interestingly enough, and I can't wait to give this book to my my 14-year-old, I have uh, my younger son who is the kind that psychs himself out and mm-hmm. um, gets really nervous about stuff. And he plays drums, too, so if he's got to perform, you know, five days before, he's already worried about it. And so I'm fighting that already with him and trying to help him. And so this book will be great because he's one of those. And I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of athletes that we don't even know are going through that. Like when we see them, we don't realize the um, the circles they go through and the hoops and the circus or whatever that gets them to where they are. But um, let's talk about someone who is going to pick up the book or not, but someone who really does mentally psych themselves out and gets really nervous and has a lot of anxiety early. Are there a couple of things we could at least say to them? I know we've talked about it, but what would you? What, how would you respond to someone like that? Well, the book, um, I wanted to make sure I covered sports psychology broadly. So it covers everything from, you know, dealing with an injury to playing in a championship game to today's practice. Uh, performance anxiety, pre-performance anxiety, is something that all athletes deal with and all performers deal with. Um, and so the key is to use it instead of it using you. Um, and I do think the number one thing is to realize that performance anxiety is how your body's preparing itself to perform. So usually we think of it as all bad, uncomfortable, I wish I didn't have this feeling, how do I get rid of it? My competitors, just like you were saying, my competitors or other people seem relaxed, um, but they're not. And and I know that because I talk with them, I work with them, and so someone might say, oh, my teammates don't seem as stressed out as I am before a game, and, you know, and, and you know, I might not be able to tell them who I'm working with on their team, but I know that their teammates are just stressed out as they are and have as much apprehension. So the first thing is nerves are normal. Um, you don't have to be anxious about being anxious. And then the second thing is, you know, in terms of competition, as we were talking about before, is downplay the importance. It really is just a fancy practice with everything to gain and really nothing to lose. Because a lot of times when we say, well, we, you know, I lost the game. Well, you never had the game. You know, you have to win the game. So you're always playing to win. So you're going after something good instead of trying to avoid something bad from happening. But in terms of performance anxiety, embrace the rush. You know, focus on deep breathing, keeping your thoughts positive. And then you'll use that energy to perform better than you even imagine. And that's true, I guess, if you're giving a, a PowerPoint presentation or if you're presenting before a board. Those of you that are listening that this do, perhaps doesn't pertain to sports for you, but in your life, where we all have competition. We all have competitive situations and situations where we want to perform, quote, at a high level and where there's a lot on the line. And so I would assume, right, that we take the, we could take the same principles that you have learned working with these athletes, which is why you wrote the book, I'm guessing, so that someone who isn't 
um, trying to win an Olympic gold medal can still look at this and figure out how it pertains to what they're trying to do in their life. Yeah, peak performance is peak performance. So um, there's more similarities than we think. You know, we might be working in one career, and but in terms of thinking like a champion, it's very similar in terms of success uh, to what Michael Phelps might be doing. So, um, you know, as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said, the, the mind is what makes everything else work. So we got to start, you know, excellence starts from the inside and works its way out. So getting back to the performance anxiety, if you're giving a presentation, the worst thing you could do is think, you know, if you're feeling anxiety, is to think, I need to get rid of it completely. You know, again, that's how, understanding that's how your body's getting ready to perform. Mm-hmm. Then you make it your friend instead of your worst enemy. That's a great point. Um, and then you use a lot of these practical tools and strategies I mentioned in the book to go above and beyond that. Fantastic. Okay, guys, well, there you go. So lots of, of great information and um, easy-to-read book, lots of anecdotes. I love quotes and things like that, and um, so it's fantastic. So thank you so much, Jim. Congratulations, and I can't wait to pass this along to my son. All right, guys, um, for all things Life in the Groove, reach out to me, please, tinaandersonoc.com. I've got all my links there, 855-892-9606. You can leave me a message anytime. Thank you to my engineer, Jay Olin, to my guest, Jim, the champion's mind, how great athletes think, train, and thrive. Until we meet again, make good choices, set appropriate boundaries. Spread some good vibrations in the world. Please, we need good vibrations. Find something to laugh about every day. That is an order. Every day, something to laugh about. So important. And manage your stress before it manages you. This is Tina Anderson reminding you to live your life in the groove. <laughs>